mouth of the Most High. Come and teach us the way of love and life. Amen. <clears throat> well, with Advent over and Christmas briefly touched on, we now move on to the season of Epiphany. The time of light where Jesus has entered the world and we bask in the glory of his incarnation. A professor of mine in seminary had a habit of labeling this the season of light. Right, This season exists right before the darkness and cynicism and pessimism of Lent, where we sit in our, in our grieving, in our preparation. This is a time of optimism, of hope, of joy. The light has entered the world, a pinprick of hope in an otherwise discordant world. The arrival of the wise men to Herod's court in Jerusalem signals a shift in the world. The Gospel writer notes that it's not just Herod who is concerned, but all of Jerusalem as well. We might guess why Herod might be afraid and worried. He is a vassal of the Roman Empire who is oppressing the Jews, God's chosen people. Further, the language used is of one born king of the Jews. Herod is already king of the Jews, or so he sees himself, and Caesar king of all there is. Jesus' birth is a direct challenge to the authority of Herod, as well as to the empire. Fortunately, Herod does not shoot the messengers, he does not get rid of them immediately, but sends them on their way, though of course he does want to know where they are going so that he can go and pay him his own special homage later. Fortunately, the wise men are warned not to teach him, to tell him where they are going after. As for why Jerusalem was frightened and afraid, there are several interpretations, none of which I am going to accept fully, um, one of which is that Herod, um, the, the Jews were afraid of what Herod may do to them with this new king of the Jews if they actually showed up. Perhaps another one is that they were afraid of what this could mean for their way of life, for the status quo. If, if you read the, read the Old Testament, you know that when God shows up, it tends to shake things up quite a bit. So perhaps the Jews were a bit afraid of what this shake-up might look like. Um, a small note on the Star of Bethlehem that I found interesting uh, is that they did, some people have done some research, and they basically decided, or realized that the star that showed up over Bethlehem was likely um, actually Jupiter showing up and being extremely bright in the night sky. Unfortunately, there was a quick little video online where this astrophysicist heard about this and scoffed, saying that, well, it wasn't the star of Bethlehem, it was a it was Jupiter, it was a planet. This story has no credence, therefore, and it's just another useless story from the Bible where everyone gets everything wrong. Her tone, of course, reminding us that astrophysicists are indeed the best Bible scholars. <laughs> yes, the star of Bethlehem was Jupiter. But I don't think that actually takes anything away from the story. I think it actually gives it credence that we can actually see that this star, that Jupiter, shows up, and that it did lead the people where they were going. Further, this word that we translate as star uh, in the ancient world generally meant any 
large celestial object. So they were actually wrong in calling it a star. They didn't understand the difference between planets and big balls of gas. So Jupiter likely led the wise men to Jesus, which is pretty neat. Moving on, little is known of the wise men. They show up for a few verses and then leave. Of particular note, though, is that the wise men are not Israelites. They are not of the people of God, at least not yet. They were from the East, likely Babylon. Probably these were high-ranking, wise counselors or kings from their own land. Unfortunately, they understood that the beginning of wisdom is the reverence and awe of the Lord. And so when they hear of this king of the Jews, when they hear of this prophecy, they know that this is something too great to pass up, and so they come to pay him homage. Their gifts are symbolic, gold for kingliness, frankincense for divinity, and the curious case of myrrh, often used as a burial herb, a foreshadow of what is to come. But we're not there yet. We're still at Jesus' birth and joy, so we'll stick there. One can imagine this very strange and eclectic scene around Jesus. Three kingly grand men surrounding a teenage mother, father, and infant child kneeling in what is not a grand hall that the wise men are probably used to, but a humble abode. St. Augustine wrote that the shepherds were Israelites, the Magi, Gentiles. The former were nigh to him, the latter far from him. And yet both hastened to him together as to the cornerstone. It matters not how far or near these people were from God, from Christ. They all came to see the baby. The circumstances of this birth, the potential scandal, the lowliness of the circumstance did not bother anyone here. They were just happy to be there. The shepherds down and out were happy and joyful to be invited. They certainly knew, know that, excuse me, they certainly know some of, if not all, the scriptures and the stories of their heritage. And so they know the prophecies of the Messiah and they are stunned to be the ones to witness it. The wise men have come regardless of ethnic difference because the hope made flesh is just too good to pass up. And no one is turned away. All have come to this king, regardless of station. And we talk a lot in the last few years, the last few decades, about how Christ is for the downtrodden and the meek, and this is very, very true. We also like to talk about how the powerful always seem to make the wrong decision. But St. Aquinas notes that another point of contrast is that the Magi were wise and powerful, the shepherds simple and lowly. He was also made known to the righteous, as Simeon and Anna, and to the outsiders, as the Magi. He was made known to both men and women, so as to show no condition of humanity to be excluded from Christ's redemption. Jesus is not just for the meek, but for literally any who would come to him. The epiphany of the true King come to us makes a double claim on the world at large and on us as individuals. The powerful and the weak. For Herod, in this moment representing the world, he is insecure and nervous, 
for one true authority has arrived. And for us, there is a question posed. Who will you serve? For as Bob Dylan sang, you got to serve somebody. Will we react with fear and reject this king in favor of another? Or will we be as the Magi? Kingship is a tricky thing these days. In ancient times, kings were sort of a fact of life, an assumption. But now we don't like the idea of kings. We, we live in a time where authority in general is not a very popular term, often associated with things like oppression, colonialism, racism. We may vote in our prime ministers and mayors, but the thought of bending our knees uh, to anybody is certainly not something many of us would do voluntarily. We're cynical and distrustful of most who would have authority over us. Growing up in the 90s and 2000s, my classrooms were often covered in various motivational posters, many of which had, many of which had some variation of, you are the captain of your own ship, and shoot for the moon, even if you miss your land among the stars. I was always told to think for myself and to make up my own mind about things. Never let anyone tell you what to believe or what to think. And while these are good things, I do wonder if we take them a little too far. In even in Christian circles, we love our Jesus is my co-pilot upper stickers. We love our self-sufficiency. We are convinced of it. And you see how good we are at self-sufficiency. The, this attitude has led many of my peers entering adulthood into a boatload of anxiety and depression. The problem is that steering your own ship is a lot of pressure when no one is there to help you, especially if you have no idea how to steer a boat. If you go wrong, there is no one to catch you, no one to help you. If you make a wrong decision, you reap the consequences alone. I know countless people who have completed a college degree because they thought they were taking control of their lives only to realize that they hated what they studied and didn't actually know what they wanted. The pressure to be completely self-sufficient is not only unrealistic, it is crushing. It is a lie that we can live isolated lives and still flourish. It is a lie that we can lead our own lives completely alone and end up in a good place. Loneliness and mental illness are through the roof. People don't want to get help for many reasons, but one reason is that it kind of feels like admitting defeat, that we've lost, that we've failed at being self-sufficient, when in reality that was never even a possibility. We've believed for so long that we can do anything that we set our minds to, that when we struggle, it means that we have somehow failed as a person. But to struggle is not some moral failure. It is human and normal. The amazing thing of the king come to us is that this king is no oppressor, is no racist, fascist, evil person. No, he is loving and kind, he is gentle and meek, and he knows the way, and he will lead us if we follow. Personally, the single most transformative part of my conversion to Christianity from atheism was the rejection of this self-sufficiency. The weight of my sin was lifted, yes, but also the weight of needing to have everything figured out. I don't need to be the captain of my own ship, and I don't want to be. 
Jesus isn't my co-pilot, he's the one flying the plane, and I'm sitting back in 24F because honestly I'm just happy to be here at this point. The biggest failures of my life come from when I set myself up as king. This is an ancient sin as old as time itself, going all the way back to the assumption that God couldn't possibly know best. So let's eat the fruit. Let us not be like this. Let us not be Herod or the fearful people in Jerusalem. Let us not set ourselves up as insecure kings, desperate to hold on to power, drunk on our own self-sufficiency. No, let us approach the king as the wise ones from the east, with confidence and humility and awe as the true king in all his splendor. Thanks be to God.